Good morning and welcome to Mayflower Congregational Church. We are so glad that you've decided to join us for our live stream worship service. I am Reverend Ruth Bell Olson, and together with Reverend Dr. Jonathan White, we are your interim pastoral team. Joining us and leading worship this morning, we have Dr. Julia Brown, our Director of Music, and we have four special cantors this morning. We have Aaron Gilbert, Melissa Gleason, Ryan Potts, Josh Ledezma, and our choir director is with us, Scott Bosher. We also welcome our Stations of the Cross family. This morning we have Rachel Jackson and Harper Cooley. And as always, we are so grateful for Pat McGuire, who is our live stream specialist, who makes all of this possible. In this Lenten season, we have several opportunities to make you aware of. First, this week we are marking the one-year anniversary of the COVID shutdown and our church being closed. We are thrilled to now announce that we are in our reopening plan. So we've opened this sanctuary twice a week on Tuesdays at noon and Fridays at 10 for you to come and just sit in this space for an hour for silent prayer and meditation. Second, we've launched our church-wide Bible reading program called Immerse. We are reading a version of the New Testament called Messiah, and you're always welcome any week to join us at noon on Wednesdays for our lively discussion of what we've read. If you want to pick up a book, just contact the office and we'll make sure to get you one. So mark your calendars because Easter is around the corner. Beginning on Palm Sunday, after our 1030 live stream service, we will have an Easter egg hunt and a palm parade at noon here on the front lawn of the church. Then on Good Friday, we have a very special service that will be live streamed at noon. And then Easter morning, we're going to be outdoor at 9 a.m. for a service, followed by a streamed service at 11. And finally, during Lent, we are offering a virtual Lenten music and meditation experience called Art Song in the Atrium. Beautiful music, art, devotional materials can be found on our website and on our YouTube channel. And to share more about music here at Mayflower, we welcome Dr. Julia Brown. Today's anthem, Ave Verum, Corpus, uh, Word of God Incarnate. Uh, the famous setting of these, this text is by Mozart, but today we will hear a text by Edward Elgar. We will hear the music of Edward Elgar, romantic uh, English composer. And to go with that anthem, then, for a postlude, I will also play Elgar, probably his most famous work, uh, from an orchestral large work called Enigma Variations. You will hear uh, the famous variation called Nimrod. Thank you, Julia. We have been honored to partner with Safe Haven Ministries this month in their work to end domestic violence. We committed to filling the pantry at their emergency safe shelter. Many thanks to you, all of you who have dropped off a tremendous amount of pantry items. 
Now the women and children at the shelter can access the pantry and cook meals together, which is a beautiful thing. If you are not aware, Mayflower does have a prayer chain, a weekly prayer chain that is emailed to anyone who would like to receive it. You can also contact the church if you'd like to be on the prayer chain. And I must tell you, this week has been quite a tremendous week of lots of prayer requests and praise items. So please contact the church if you'd like to be included in that list. And now let us turn to our Lenten liturgy for this morning. We have placed seven candles on our altar, one for each Sunday in Lent and one for Good Friday. Each week we're beginning with one less candle lit. So we can anticipate on Easter Sunday all of the darkened candles relit in celebration of Christ's resurrection. We are entering a holy time, and as the candles slowly fade and the darkness deepens, we are symbolically retelling the story of Jesus' suffering, betrayal, and death. We're also using the Stations of the Cross in our Lenten liturgy. The stations are representations of the path Jesus bore on his way to the crucifixion. They involve Jesus enduring suffering as well as moments of support, and they relay the intense sacrifice that we as Christians believe Jesus undertook for the salvation of all humanity. So now we will proceed to our fourth station of the cross. The fourth station, Jesus meets his mother. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. Parents try to raise their children and incorporate the ideals and traditions that their parents may have given them. The blessing a parent can be is an example can inspire generations to grow up in the Christian faith. Having been there for us, our parents can know how hard it is to raise children to be disciples of Christ. Just as Mary was there for Jesus, may the past generation's values and love support us in times of questioning and struggle. Our parents really want us to pray. They want us to learn and grow. They want us to become young people of faith. Help us to understand. Teach us how to do the things that will keep us close to our parents and to Jesus. Let us pray. Jesus, you saw your mother's pain when she saw you carrying the cross. She did not want to see you suffer. Help us to live the faith our parents and grandparents gave us. Were you there when a mother saw her song?
Let us pray. Holy Lord, we are reminded this morning of your journey to the cross and how Mother Mary was there bearing witness to what you endured. How awful that must have been. Yet she had faith. She knew you. Help us to grow in our faith, even when things are difficult. Draw us closer to you in this season of Lent. And give us a holy glimpse of Easter as we await the celebration of your resurrection. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning is from the book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, but the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. 
The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take the serpents away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy One, open our ears that we may hear, our minds that we may think and critically analyze, our hearts that we may care, and our hands so that when we leave this place, we go in service. In your many holy names, amen. 
Reverend Haddon Richardson gave a sermon once where he said, I'm not going to be politically correct. And he said, my subject is the snake. Now think about it. Haddon said, I bet you have a prejudice against snakes. Like, if a family of snakes moved next door, you probably wouldn't be happy. If you found out your daughter was dating a snake, that wouldn't make you feel too well. If a bunch of snakes came into your church and sat in the front pew, you'd be a little worried. In Michigan, I know that a lot of people have no fear of snakes. I grew up in West Virginia, and when I think snake, I think cottonmouth, water moccasin, eastern diamond rattler, and timber rattler. And I'm scared to death. I recall one day coming from Point Harmony Elementary School, getting off the bus, walking down the dirt road to my house with a bunch of other kids. I looked ahead of me, and there on a familiar uh, place on the dirt road, a group of kids had gathered around and were kind of looking at a little mud puddle. I went up to see what they were looking at, and there was the terror of my life. I hated walking past that section because there was a swampy area on the side with big cattails, and I thought, there are snakes in there waiting to get us. When I looked down, there was a five-foot timber rattler that had been squashed by a car going down the road. I saw the rattles, I saw the pattern on its back, I saw its head, and I was convinced that that snake had come out on Crystal Drive just to get me. We had snakes all over the place on Tyler Mountain. I was scared of them. Well, we have a story about snakes today from the book of Numbers. And it's a complaint story. There are four of them in the book of Numbers. The Hebrews have been led out of Egypt, and they start complaining. You brought us out here into the wilderness. We're getting tired of eating manna. We're getting tired of the situation. We're getting tired of God. We're getting tired of you, Moses. And in their minds, poisonous snakes, actually from the Hebrew, seraph, fire snakes, where we get the term, by the way, seraphim, uh, being a fire. The snakes come out, and the Hebrews stop complaining and ask for help. Moses, instructed by God, makes a bronze snake, lifts it up. The people look at it, and they're healed. Well, they have to have faith. What do they have faith in? At this point in the history of the proto-Israelites, they have faith in the land. They are driven by land, and they are in the midst of a holy war. The concept of holy war did not start with Islam. It's as old as human religion. And they believe that God has commanded them to slay the people in Canaan, to take it over, and to make that their home. It's the promised land. That will change, though. 
See, they bring that bronze serpent into the temple after building the temple. And by the time we get to King Hezekiah, people are coming into the temple and they're worshiping that bronze snake. King Hezekiah gets so angry that he has the snake taken out and destroyed. Why? Because we're entering an age of prophetic ministry. And the prophetic ministry is not tying God so much to the land, but is tying God to spirit. Is tying God to the heart. Is tying God for the experience of life, the living of life, of being. Tying God to that old phrase, be still and know that I am God. Well, faith will continue to transform through the centuries. And when we get to a time where Nicodemus is on a journey, he is also looking for faith. He's looking for something to believe in. He's going to start a journey. Well, think about that. Have you ever started a journey and you have all these expectations? You think all these wonderful things are going to happen. You can't wait to get going. And then the complete unexpected happens. And suddenly... Your world has gone awry. And you think, how did I end up in this mess? I wonder what Mary was thinking of when she began her journey. When Luke tells us that an archangel greeted her, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. I wonder how she felt then. I wonder how she felt when Luke tells us that she went to Elizabeth. Elizabeth pregnant with John. And John is so happy, according to Luke, that he leaps inside Elizabeth's womb. That had to be a joyous part of the journey. But today we remember Jesus and Mary encountering one another. According to the Gospels, the four Gospels that made it into the Bible, Jesus knew what to expect. I wonder what Mary was expecting as she watched her baby, as she watched the boy grow, as the boy entered his teenage years and then became a man. And then started revealing the Word of God. The Word of God incarnate. I wonder what Mary was expecting on her journey. In the tradition of the church, Jesus encounters Mary as he's carrying the cross. Biblically, Jesus encounters Mary as he's hanging on the cross in the Gospel of John. 
And she is there with some other people and the disciple that Jesus loves. Jesus acknowledges that. He says, Woman, behold your son. And then to the disciple he loved, he said, Behold your mother. Why? Because in Hebrew culture at that time, a patriarchal culture, you needed a male to take care of the rest of the family. Jesus' admonition against divorce was not saying you shouldn't get divorced if you're in an unhealthy relationship. It's saying you have to take care of the people you made promises to. That's what marriage meant. That's what being the oldest son meant. There's your mother. Take care of her. Jesus will also say, according to John, I'm thirsty. I wonder if Mary wanted to go back on the journey. And according to John, Jesus will also say, it is finished. A journey through the wilderness, not ending like we might have expected. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. What am I supposed to believe? You need to be born again. What do you mean, born again? I mean, your soul has to be transformed. You have to be transfigured. You have to see a new light. What do you mean, new light? Think about the serpent in the wilderness. Jesus, familiar with that story. When Moses lifted up the serpent, people looked and they were saved. The Son of Man has come. And the Son of Man will be lifted up. Look upon it. And you will be saved. Because God so loved the world that God gave the only Son that whosoever would believe in the Christ should not perish but have eternal life. Now, if we keep reading in John, Jesus is going to say to Nicodemus, well, it's those people who believe. They are going to be saved, but the people who don't believe are already condemned. I wish John had just expanded that just a little more. Believe what? Believe Jesus is the Christ? Okay. James says even the demons believe that. What are we to believe? Are we to believe a group of doctrines? A group of fantastic stories? Well, the donkey really talked. Well, dead people really got up and walked. 
Joshua, stop the sun. If we believe that, does that lead to salvation? Or by acknowledging the Christ, is our soul transformed? Is our experience transfigured? Are we changed? Harvard biologist E.O. Wilson says humans have a natural fear of snakes because snakes inject psychedelic killing drugs in our system when they're bitten, when we are bitten. Those are poisonous snakes. By the way, very few poisonous snakes. Uh, there are about 25 to 3,000 species of snakes in the world, and 3,000, uh, well, most of them are harmless. In fact, they're helpful. You believe that? I don't. I think any snake can scare you to death. Be that as it may, our natural fear of snakes comes from that bite because as poison circulates through the body, it interacts with the mind. Wilson said that ancient cultures and tribal cultures have what they call a magic snake. Indeed, this story in Numbers, which is one of the early stories in the Old Testament, uh, it, it was written early. And there's a snake cult in Egypt at the time this is written. And there is snake worship and snake, snakes used in worship throughout the Near East at this time. And that bronze snake is probably reflective of that culture. Well, we have that natural fear and we think looking upon a bronze snake or the Son of Man being lifted up, we come up with something more than doctrine, something more than orthodoxy, something more than fantastic stories. When we look if we look, Jesus said, if you have eyes, see. If you have ears, you better hear. If we really look, we go up on a mountain and we are transfigured. But as our lights go out each Sunday, we remember that the journey of life does not end on earth in all happiness. It ends in death. And what do we believe? Yesterday I had the privilege of being with a dear friend of many years. I sat by her bedside. We celebrated the Eucharist with her family. I think she was aware of it. I said prayers for her. I went through a liturgy with her. I put the mark of the cross on her forehead. And the family left me alone with her. 
I sang Amazing Grace because the first sermon I ever gave when I went to seminary late in life was on a good Friday and her husband stood in the balcony and sang a song. I was saying goodbye to her. I said, go to the light. It's okay. We love you. Go see your husband. He's waiting there. And I said, please be there for when we come. Because Jesus made a promise. Because God made a promise. For God so loved the world that God gave the only Son that whoever believed in the Christ would not perish but have eternal life. Believe life is good. Believe God is good. Believe Jesus saves. Believe that treating other people, all other people, with dignity, respect, and love, especially when it's hard to love them, Believe that that is worthwhile. Be transfigured. In the name of God the Creator, God the Christ, and God the Holy Spirit, may you be blessed. Amen. May we truly be transfigured and blessed. Now is the time in our service where we pause to offer our gifts, share in the joy of what it means to be part of the ministry of Mayflower Church. Thank you for your generosity.
Let us pray. O sweetest, O kindest, O Jesus, Son of Mary, we dedicate our gifts, tithes, and offerings to you. May they be used for your glory and your purposes, and may they bring blessing. Amen. Let us now join our hearts together for our congregational prayer. Holy and precious Lord, we read this morning from the book of John that you love the world so much that you sent your one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Thank you. Thank you that we have the assurance of life with you forever. Thank you that this world is not all there is. We are on a journey, a faith journey, and a life journey. There have been times that have felt so desert-like. We stumble like the Israelites through thorny times and dangerous perils. And like Mary, many of us have had to watch those we love struggle. This last year of pandemic has included deep trials, great pain, death, and confusion. Again, we thank you that this does not define us. This is not the end of the story. As we journey through Lent, this desert season of the church calendar, we have many prayers. Lord, we pray for ourselves. We pray for growth transformation. We pray for renewed passion. We pray for joy. We pray for our community and for our church. Please, God, grant Mayflower years of spiritual strength and sustenance. Bring this church the leader it needs. Bring this church into a new season of ministry and flourishing. And we lift up to you those on the prayer chain. The myriad praises and prayer requests of this congregation. We pray for our country. May we become more united and not divided. And we also pray this morning for our world, this world that you love so very much. Help us to care for it well. We pray for peace in areas of conflict. And may your peace reign on earth. And may we as your people be faithful messengers of this peace. Lord, we seek you. Lord, be with us. Lord, have mercy on us.
And now together, we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy be your name. May your will be done, your kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We believe, help us in our unbelief, because we believe God is good. We believe God made creation not to condemn everything that God made, but to save it, because we believe in the love and power of Christ. And we know that it transforms lives. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.